What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. Welcome to the Matt Sodnikar Podcast. I am here with Jeremy Gottwalls. He is the he has the distinct honor of being the first podcast guest that I've picked up in an airport bar. So congratulations, <laughs> Jeremy. <laughs> But, hey, that's fantastic. <laughs> but beyond that, I love that story. Oh yeah, it, it was great. I want to dive into that too. Uh, but beyond that distinct honor, he has actually had some real accomplishments. He's been on uh, an MTV series twice. He's been on American Idol. He's a musician, a writer, performer, publisher, uh, former starving artist, and now not so starving entrepreneur. But uh, just was flying out of Austin a couple weeks ago and just had to talk to this guy with that. My new friend, Jeremy. Jeremy, welcome to the show and thank you for taking the time to talk. Thank you so much, Matt. It is such a pleasure to be here. I, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled and I, I am honored. I feel honored to be here. So, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just amazing. You just never know who you are going to meet absolutely anywhere. And, uh, our airport experiences is no, is no exception. So I would agree. And you were the end of a long string of amazing and very cool coincidences in Austin that week. And, uh, I just plan on kind of decompressing. Thank you. Thank you. And just having a, a beer and some barbecue at the salt lake in the airport. And then I just heard some of the stories that you're telling to, uh, the guy sitting between us. And if, I doubt he's listening, but if he is, I apologize for kind of diving over him to hand you my business card. <laughs> well, I, I'm really, no, that all of that was incredible. Actually, the guy you were, the, it, the, talk about string of, of magical coincidences. The guy between us, uh, works for a company that manages, uh, music distribution for chance, the rapper. <laughs> so it was like, and then, and then boom, like we start talking, it was just like the perfect, perfect lineup of, of, of synchronicities. So it's like, it's perfect. I'm actually going to make sure that that guy, I have his info. I'm going to make sure he hears this cause I want him to, to hear this. So it all comes for a full circle. <laughs> oh, nice. I'd love to talk to him and then apologize for that. So you went from talking to somebody. Oh no, you don't need to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so you went from somebody that works with chance, the rapper to some obscure podcast in Colorado, but Hey man, it all, it's all good. It's all good. No, no, that's perfect. No, that's, I love it. And, and I don't think you, I don't think you owe him an ounce of uh, an ounce of an apology. I think he'll be, I think he'll be tickled. In fact, well, tell him if uh, chance, the rapper wants the Matt Sodnikar bump, he can be on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let him know for sure. Okay. <laughs> I think, I, I think chance could use all the help he could get right now. <laughs> like, Who is this cracker? Motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. So with um, that, dude, yeah, I just want to turn it over to you. Cause like I said, the less I talk to you, the better, or less I talk the, the better. And I just, there were so many places I wanted this to start and I would just like you to kind of go wherever you feel like, because of, you know, we talked about so much about your career 
Um, and like I said, one of the things that drew me to want to talk to you further and, and capture this was, um, I guess what you described as the struggle and the determination. And, you know, when we started talking about the origin of this podcast, that was kind of our lightning bolt, you know, our friendship right there. So with that, take it away, man. Just tell, tell us what you want to talk about. Well, I guess, I guess first I'll, I'll take it back to, uh, take it back to that, uh, that initial spark at the, at the airport bar enjoying that delicious barbecue, that last meal in Austin. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, last local beer before hitting, hitting the flight back to the middle West. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, basically, you know, I was sharing my tale of, uh, my ups and downs of my, uh, triumphs and defeats, um, and how they go hand in hand. And, uh, you know, and it's just quite, it's beautiful because I wouldn't take, I wouldn't take any of it back. Um, even, even the, the roughest of it all. And, um, but there we were, you know, and I was talking to this guy to my, to my right and then boom, you know, you, it was actually quite, it was quite incredible because the, the, the dates of, uh, when this all happened are, are significant. Oh, that's right. uh, I, I'm a big believer. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what I'll circle back around to is like, right. It was March the 16th to be exact. I have a, I have a creepy memory for days. And, um, what I, what I notice, and I know this sounds crazy, but what I notice is that these, these kind of coincidences or synchronicities, whatever that line up over time. So exactly a year to the day, to the day, exactly. I had re I had uh, been coming out of, after having had some awesome successes, I had come, I'd actually gone the opposite direction and had reached an all time low at the, at the end of 2016, beginning of 2017. And we can cover that a bit more later, but it's, it's kind of amazing how you can go from these peaks to these deep valleys. And, um, so, but March 16th marked the day that I said, I, you know, I have these goals. There are these things I want to do. I need to stay the course and I need to take these ships to the other side and then burn the ships. I need to burn the ships uh, and give myself no chance of turning back because that is the only way I'm going to uh, reach these goals that I've had by essentially my entire life and uh, you know, my entire short life. And um, you know, but uh, it's like that, that, so that, and then you, but then you, and then you, we started talking and then you shared and without you even knowing that those thoughts had occurred to me a year prior and that I'd been on this kind of journey, um, you shared your own story and which I assume is probably how you came to found the warm front and some of these other things that you do. And, um, and so, but you shared your own story with me and, and how, and that's, and what the, the moment of, of craziness, uh, was when you shared the same analogy of of burning those ships, um, of burning those ships so that you can never turn back. And I got chills. I got chills in that moment because, um, those words came from your mouth and those were the words on my brain a year to the day and a year to the day later, 
there I was leaving Austin, having exhibited uh, with one of my new startups at, uh, at South by Southwest. Uh, so just a really uh, a full circle kind of journey from having uh, decided that I was going to come out of this all time low to, Hey, I just came from South by, I mean, you know, that's really cool. It's like, so I don't know, but this, so, and so that moment just kind of crystallized. Okay. Like, you know, there's sort of this, there's sort of this symphony in life, however you want to describe it. And, uh, and as a musician, I, that's kind of how I like to see it. It's like this symphony and you've got these, these moments of accord. And so this was that moment of accord when, when, uh, you know, there, the sort of the music just kind of lined up and I was like, Whoa. So those woe moments are kind of what I live for. And those woe moments are, um, you know, a big part of my creative process, but it, uh, you know, unfortunately we can't just live for those woe moments. We also have to live for the journey. We have to li- we have to live for the past and we have to live for the struggle. And, um, you live through, through the struggle. And, uh, it was amazing because, uh, something else that happened a year, it was also a year to the day. And actually I just made an Instagram post about this this week. It was a year to that day that I decided that I was going to start documenting. I was going to start documenting my struggles and I released this vlog. Actually, I recently have temporarily taken it out, <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to re-release it again, but uh, and I'll explain that another time. But, uh, but I had released this vlog that was basically just like this heart blade. And, um, I got some, I got some really strong support from my close people, but I think some people kind of felt a cringe, uh, factor. <laughs> I think some people felt a cringe factor when I shared this because I, I definitely overshared and, um, no. but I wanted to do that. I wanted to just get, get on there in front of, in front of the world. And it was less about the world and more about documenting. It's like, okay, I want to document this, but then I'm going to go as far as to share it. And, um, and so, you know, yeah, there's a lot of oversharing. Is it healthy? Is it not? I don't know. But for me, it was cathartic. For me, it was like, I'm going to put this out there and as a result, work towards my own betterment and sort of, um, you know, as, and as a result, sort of uh, leave behind any pretensions, any pretensions that I, that I have somehow climbed the top, that I've somehow made it. Because I think, I actually had a lot of people in my world who believed, wow, like Jeremy is so successful and he is just, he has just arrived and, and they're just like, wow, like he's doing so awesome. And, and it's true that I was doing awesome at times, but I'll never forget when I went home for the holidays at the end of 2016 and someone came up to me and they're like, wow, Jeremy, you're such an inspiration. You're doing so incredible. Like, you know, all these things, blah, 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 blah. And, a lot of what they were saying, there was truth to it, but then what they didn't see, what they didn't see, what they didn't know is that I was struggling. Even after having, oh, yes, I did this and I did that. And, oh, yeah, that's great. Oh, you know, pat myself on the back. But I'm still far from my real goals. And I was struggling. And so many people, and so I was like, okay, wow. I some inadvertently had expressed this persona through social media that, like, uh, without even meaning to, I had only shared the, the polish. I had only shared the gems of like success. I had only shared some of the triumphs and that's not, maybe that's not entirely true. So my mom died in 2016 
And, uh, and I shared that experience like, uh, unfiltered in an unfiltered way. And that was beautiful. And there was a very beautiful cathartic experience that came from that. And so people saw that for what it was, but, but I, people didn't realize that even before my mom had died, I had all these other things that were going on and no one really saw that. No one really saw the entrepreneurial struggle. So I decided a year to the day, March 16th of 2017, I said, I'm going to uh, begin sharing this journey, documenting it, because so many people uh, are focusing on that end game of like, oh, let's buy a million Teslas and sell our company for a billion dollars. So many people like focus on that, like almost uh, unre- like this illusion, like this, this thing that, okay, yeah, maybe it's, it's this thing that's out there without really focusing on the storytelling of the actual journey of, of arriving, of getting there, uh, wherever there actually is. And so, but then you, um, and in an incredibly, an incredible way. And amazingly, the first thing you said to me, Matt was, Hey, like that's the purpose of your podcast. Like, to, to cover that journey, that struggle. So again, it was like, what it was like, Whoa, again, those whoa moments of, of just absolute crazy. Here we are having barbecue in a in an airport in Austin, you know, I I don't know, man, but (laughs) at any rate, um, yeah. So, so, um, so Get, uh, you, let's see. I'm kind of like, kind of like at a pausing point. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee <laughs> well, here. <laughs> um, how old are you right now, bud? And I ask because I was 20 when I lost my mom yeah. and I didn't know about your mom. I'm really sorry to hear that. Oh no. Thank you. Yeah. I'm 28 now. I had just turned 26 when she died and she was, she was uh, 47. She had just turned 47 and, um, and yeah, and she, it was very sudden. She had a car accident and died a week later and, uh, life, uh, it was like it, someone, someone, so I, I say that I say that I'm fortunate. Uh, I was actually very fortunate in, in a number of ways. Um, I was fortunate because I, um, I had a lifetime sort of, of, it, that's, that's a whole other story, but I sort of had a lifetime of like meditation and thinking about death and thinking about mortality and thinking about impermanence. And, um, yeah, nothing can actually prepare us for the death of a loved one, but if anything could, the life that I had lived up to that point had somewhat. And it was like, someone asked me shortly after they asked me, um, were you emotionally dependent on your mom? And I said, no nor was I financially dependent on my mom. So, so, uh, and so the, the fact that I wasn't, was neither financially nor emotionally dependent on my mom. And what I mean by that is like some people like, yeah, like having a bond with your parent is one thing, but like some people form this emotional dependency even into their older age. And there's nothing wrong with that. No judgment towards that. But I, I think that what, and it, it like having that, that, um, sense of like, uh, emotional independence helped me uh, tremendously like facing the reality. So it wasn't like um, I wasn't so devastated that I was unable to cope with it. Um, and I think some people when they lose their parents really younger than, than their twenties, um, you know, really 
go through some of that. And, um, and, but also, um, it was interesting. I, I kind of, my mother, this had nothing to do directly with her death, but she, she was a heavy woman and she had some health issues. Um, and I kind of always feared that she would die young. Um, I kind of always knew she would. And, uh, I know it sounds very weird to say that. Um, but I, I kind of knew I just had this deep knowing that she, you know, she was 47 and I, I just had this deep knowing that she was not going to become an old woman. Uh, and so, um, and I knew that like, since I was a kid, I don't know how. So, um, that's when, an intense thing. In fact, uh, uh, realized though, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it really is. Yeah. It, it, it is. And, and I'm not claiming anything like I'm not claiming anything crazy by that. I, I'm not claiming any kind of, uh, I'm not, I'm not making any outrageous claims in saying that I'm just saying it was something I just kind of knew. And so, um, uh, actually to be to, like some, to tell you something though, quite wild on her birthday, December the 30th of 2015. So her, our birthdays are a week apart. Mine's the 23rd of December. I had just turned 26 and she had, she turned 47 on the 30th and on the 30th of December, which was like one of the last times that I saw her, um, I sat down with her after like dinner, uh, you know, I treat her and my stepdad had the same birthday. So I treated them to dinner and like, you know, but the, that night, you know, we're, we're sitting down at her house and, uh, and the day before Christmas or New Year's Eve. And I was like, Hey, you know, um, I want you to live to see your grandchildren. So, so my current wife and I were, were engaged at the time. And I was like, you know, I want you to live to see your grandchildren. And I, and this, the reason I was saying this was because of her, of her health, her eating habits and her lifestyle, like her stress really actually was bigger than even the biggest thing, but she had not learned how to cope with stress and she had been taking care of her mother. Um, my grandmother, the last five years, five years of her life. Uh, so she had exhausted herself financially and emotionally and energetically taking care of my grandmother who had, who has uh, dementia. And, uh, and actually my wife and I, when we were just dating, actually helped her out for a year in a big way. But so, so I watched this happen. And so, you know, and I watched her just, just kill herself doing this. And so on the 30th, on her birthday of 2016, uh, 2015, I said to her, uh, I want you to live to see your grandchildren. And it, it wasn't the first time I had said, Hey, you know, you really need to take care of better care of yourself. But this was like a, this is like a moment of like, re I just had this moment of like, my mom is not going to live past the age of 55 if she doesn't change her lifestyle and her health immediately. And, uh, and that, and then like, not even, I mean, what, like approximately two weeks later, January the 16th or so she had, uh, she had a car. Accident. So anyways, um, <laughs> but my whole point, wow. So, uh, I didn't expect to go into that story, but I, I kind of wanted to, I don't know how, how we arrived at me telling that story, but, uh, but I guess that, that gives you kind of an insight into what 2016 was like. So, um, so to bring it back around to the entrepreneurial journey, the creative journey before all of that happened, before, before those events, uh, I had 2015 was a, was an awesome year. 
2015 was one of the best years until this until the 2017 and now. Um, 2015, my my business was rocking. Um, one of my friends even said, "Oh my God, you are you you sign clients like." Pokemon or something. You catch clients like Pokemon. <laughs> and it was, and he, it was true. I had a new client and it, yeah. And I was, my wife and my girl, my then fiance wife, wife now wife and I were based in Indianapolis at the time. And I, I remember, and I worked out of a really awesome co-working space called the hinge bureau. Um, and, uh, uh down in, uh, in, uh, near there, the fountain square of Indianapolis. And, uh, in a little neighborhood called Fletcher place. And it was the coolest like little place. And we lived downtown and I biked there every day. And I, I had a client, a new client in the office every week. And the clients were mostly authors, but I had a lot of businesses that I was doing branding and marketing for as well. And that was before I, I created Geronimo, which is, we'll get around to that. But, um, but yeah, so it was all haul on publishing, which I found at the end of 2011. And that's all. And we'll get to that story. But basically, uh, you know, I, yeah, I was crushing it that year. Um, but I also was taking a lot of risks and by taking a lot of risks, I mean, I was investing in time and a lot of clients, uh, who I was like, okay, these are people I'm going to give them work now at, for practically for free in hopes that it's going to pay off later because I'm, because I'm 25, I was 25 and 2015, 25. And I was trying to, I was building a company. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to invest this a lot of freaking time and not make a lot of money, but I'm going to do it in volume. And, and it was working for a while, but I realized, um, I had been, I had been coming out of a cycle of stretching myself too thin of taking on too many projects, too many clients. And, uh, this, and I thought that I was you know, I doubled my rate that year, uh, for my freelance work. And I thought I was making progress and I was making progress, but I was also, over committing. And, um, so 20, so the summer of 2015, I did something really cool. Um, it, and we'll come back around to this. I, uh, I made a documentary and I kind of, kind of for about three or four weeks, kind of stepped Wait, away from my that. business. Hold on. on. <laughs> you made a documentary. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we're still editing it actually oh, okay. almost three years later. And yeah, well, well, no, but it's it's awesome. We should talk briefly, very briefly about it. But it's a part of this kind of journey I'm sharing with you. And it's important to, to mention this documentary because this documentary was the first really big step in actually uh, moving towards my real goals. And when I say my real goals, I'm talking about being a content creator. I'm talking about being a, a, an artist. I'm talking about like I, the whole reason I got into entrepreneurship, which was I want to help artists make money and I want to make money as an artist. So that's, that's the reason I became an entrepreneur. Um, and, uh, but, and you know, I know I'm not really telling this story in a linear way, but, uh, but I kind of wanted to paint the case of what 2015 was like, because it was that year that I moved to Cincinnati with, with my fiance at the time. And, uh, and this documentary was a pivotal moment. It was, and which we'll circle back around to it, but I'll just say that filming this documentary was pivotal and it made me question everything. And then moving to Cincinnati, I just kind of felt uprooted. So I started questioning everything. I just kind of had this existential moment of like, what the hell am I doing with this business? Even though it had done extremely well that year. And that was, uh, and then all of these unfinished things started coming to light and started weighing down on me. And then my mom died. And so already I was having issues, um, 
struggling to, to stay, stay on top of what I had, all the work I had committed to. And then I was having identity issues with why I still doing this business in 2015 when by, when, when by the age of 25, I had intended to be an artist full time. And so, yeah, that's, I, I didn't realize that the, I was being incredibly hard on myself at the time. Like I was only 25, but I, in my head at 25, I was like, man, I, I was supposed to have quote unquote made it by now. So I was feeling incredibly depressed as a result of that. And, and, feeling the weight of my business weighing down on me again, because it had weighed down on me earlier. Like I hadn't been a year for about a year and a half. It had been great, but a year and a half prior, like it had felt, uh, you know, heavy on my consciousness. And then, um, and then boom, my mom dies. And 2016 was this roller coaster year. Cause I also got married that year. So, so my wife and I almost, postponed our wedding date, which was that August, but we decided not to, we were like, no, we're going to, we're going to do this. There's no reason we would put life on hold just because of these things that happened earlier this year. So 2016, I quote as one of the best and worst years. Um, so I wanted to set that up for you so that you knew the, that chronology there in those pivotal years, which is why the end of 2016 became so critical and so hard in the beginning of 2017, that is, which is what led up to, okay, boom, it's March of 2017. And I'm, and I'm making this decision. I'm putting my foot down. I'm moving forward with these decisions. And, and this is the path I'm on. I'm burning the ships and moving forward to it to now. So, so, but really we'll, we'll want to step back. Uh, obviously we want to step back and explain how did I become an entrepreneur? Why did I become an entrepreneur? And, and then it all makes kind of makes sense. And then, and then we'll, we'll kind of briefly kind of talk about the documentary there. Uh, but yeah, dude, do you have any, I mean, this should, this is a conversation. Do you have any questions for me? <laughs> I have a, <clears throat> I have a page of notes here that I have to kind of work backwards through and like in, in no <laughs> order of importance, um, the, the coincidences just kept coming. Um, I was actually born in Indianapolis. Um, really? Yeah. Nice. And, uh, you know, when you talk about like the, the gems and you, you'd mentioned that the gems and the lows and all that, when you were saying that I had to pull up a text from my friend Heidi last night that was talking about, um, going through things with this crazy balance between intense gratitude and devastating loss. Mm. You know, the whole reason that, you know, you and I are having this conversation was the basis of several devastating losses throughout my life. You know, one of those being my mom and there's been other events. And then the, the thing that I look for as well and that you hit upon are these coincidences. And, you know, at the very start, it was simply the fact that there was an empty seat next to chance, the rapper's buddy at the salt lick, but then you unwind that, you know, seven minutes, seven days, you know, seven months, seven years, the fact, you know, however long it is. And the fact that, you know, you and I have such a shared, experience, you know, years apart and thousands of miles apart that we ended up sitting next to each other and, you know, coining the phrase, using the phrase, burning the boats, burning the ships. 
that's <laughs> I don't know what the lottery <laughs> odds are or you know, picking your your bracket correctly, but the fact that you know you know you were having that particular conversation at that point in time, and I listened, and it's it, it's kind of magical it, it, to for it lack is. of a better term for lack of a yeah. better term. And uh, the last note I had was when you were talking about the uh, like on your vlog and everything was all shiny and it's one of those traps I've talked about this you know in person and on a couple episodes where nobody's gonna really post hey doing the dishes at home and I got this basket of laundry it's gonna be hey I'm at the airport in Austin and doing all this and and I think people see a company's social media profile and then they transfer that towards their personal and no company is going to go, yep. Hey, we're, we're down um, 25% this quarter. And we had a couple people leave, you know, it's all just sort of marketing, which is shiny and it's all bullshit and that's okay. But it, you know, when it comes from, you know, being personable or personal that where that's where it's different. And, you know, somebody accusing you of oversharing on your vlog. It's like, well, at least you're being human, you know, at least you're being legit and sincere and vulnerable, whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's exactly right. And what you just said was the motivation behind, behind that sort of oversharing because I saw, how I was like, man, I'm here. I am posting all these awesome things because I, we, I want to get more business and I want to, you know, go to where I'm going and uh, go where I plan on going. And then, uh, kind of taking a step back at it. And it's like, but is that really, is that really, uh, is that right? Not, not, is it right? But is that the, is that the task for me? I mean, I, I so I was like, I want to be authentic and uh and vulnerable and uh and i realized there's freedom in being vulnerable oh there's tremendous strength you know strength well and i thought at 20 when my mom died that i had a free pass throughout the universe that i was um, <laughs> yeah that my challenges were were done and over with right and it was like I learned the the hard way that that was definitely not the case. So there were, yeah, having a similar realization that that you did, like, "Ah, we got to figure this out and be tested. And yeah, it's, it's amazing. That being said, um, it's amazing that we met and you know, it is, (laughs) it's just, it's really cool. And those, those kind of magical experiences uh, are kind of, you know, I, my life, I believe that life in general is filled with them, but I, I believe that we don't, I, I, and I believe that their life is filled with them for all people, but we don't see them. So I believe that we, we have these sort of experiences, perhaps some of us even more regularly than we even think we do, even know we do. But I just think, I don't believe that most, I don't, I, when people describe their lives as mundane or they feel their lives as boring, I don't feel that 
that's true. I feel like they're missing this kind of thing. It's like we just sat down on an airport and boom. And I feel like most people who don't, who don't feel that sense of magic, who don't see those incredible, extraordinary things in the ordinary, uh, right under our noses. When people, those of us who don't see that, I believe that's merely because we're, we're just kind of on autopilot. We're just going through the motions. And indeed many of us, you know, we've all have those times when we're, especially when we're depressed, when we're just like, you know, we're just going through life, you know, we have these blinders on and, you know, we're just going through the motions and, you know, we're going to clock in and clock out and go home and go to sleep. And when we get in that, and not that there's anything wrong with clocking in and clocking out and going home and going to sleep because there's chapters in our lives where that's what we do. But, um, but I believe that even in those chapters that magic is present, that, uh, those extraordinary moments are present. And, uh, and it's, it's sort of my, I, I've taken it up as my mission and purpose to share, to not only share those magical and extraordinary moments, but also to, to help to like, try to be like, Hey, got people out there. Like they're right in front of you. This is like, everything you've ever wanted is right. And is right there, like in, in front of you and within you. And so that's kind of, that's kind of my underlying message. Um, and kind of the driving force behind everything that I do. So, um, so, but yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so those, those synchronicities, um, it's amazing. Life is abound with them. I sort of, um, I, again, feel very lucky because I started thinking that way, uh, really early. I was, um, you know, a, kid, a teenager when I started sort of thinking this way and it just sort of, that thinking just sort of developed and became reinforced over time. It's like, it's like whenever, and it's not like a blind thinking, it's not dogmatic. It's like, more and at times it has been, but it's like, okay, I challenge myself every few years or so. It's like, okay, like what, you know, is my period, you know, what, the, so my paradigm is always in motion. My, my worldview is always being, uh, reconstructed by new information. Um, and so this is how I, I, I like to construct my worldview is that it's always being, being reconstructed by, by new events, by new experiences that are, that are always new, new data, new experiences are always reshaping the way that I underst understand things. Um, and, uh, but, but with that said, there's still all this constant, the constant among it all has been this sense of like, okay, the, there's, there is a, a definite synchronicity that happens right in front of our noses call it coincidence, call it whatever you want. But it's, it's this, as I said earlier, comparing it to a symphony, it's this accord that, and these, these incredible, crazy events, um, you know, take place and can happen without us even realizing it. If we're not, if we're not paying attention, if we're not, if we're not in the present moment. That's um, exactly <laughs> where I was going to take that is that I could have been on my phone sitting there or I could have had, earphones in and listening to music or listening to another podcast or an audio book. But 
you know, something I've been working on for 15 years is just trying to be present. And, you know, I've got, you know, my blessing and my curse is ADD. And Likewise. my particular form is that my frontal lobes are always on. It's not that I can't pay attention. It's I pay attention to everything all the time. Right. And so to cultivate single mindedness and to be like, even not even paying attention to what was on the TV, which I don't remember, but I remember just listening to you, but like you said, being like paying attention and it's awareness or whatever you want to call it. But it was just, yeah, I, I don't like multitasking. It drives me crazy. It stresses me out. I like being where I'm at and it's, and yeah, if you can cultivate that even for a moment, like it only took a moment for you and I to connect, but if you can do that for a moment, then two moments, you know, think about the changes that, that are going to happen in your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's those, it is like you said, it's like a moment and it's, and, and, and it's these, um, all it takes exactly is, I mean, and, and it's not just, it, all it takes is a, is a few, is a moment to, for everything to shift. I mean, I think about how I met my wife. She walked into a bar and I sang to her. <laughs> like literally, she walked into a bar. I, I want to get to that too. To <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but I think about like, it's all take in. And what I live to do is I live to take, I live to extract those moments. So like I, it's even in a lot of my songs, like I believe that anywhere we, you know, anyone we meet could, could be, could become absolutely anyone in our lives. And then everywhere we go, the people we, encounter. so much of this is about people. It's really all about, I mean, it's not, it's, it's all about people. It's and, all it's, about and it's like, yeah, I mean, it, everywhere I go, it, it, I think about every meaningful relationship I have, every connection I have that has, uh, that has been a part of, a part of my, the reality I have today. And it's because I, said hey to someone in the elevator that I didn't know, you know, or something or said hey to someone at the coffee shop or I or I sang or I sang to some girl at a bar or I, you know, who later became my wife or I, you know, or I had an awesome conversation with some dude at the airport. I mean, everything that has ever, you know, you know, every right down to starting my businesses, right down to everything has just been because I was like, Hey, I'm just going to say, Hey, to this person, <laughs> or, or I'm going to go out on a limb and in audition for that thing, or I'm going to, I'm going to take a chance and take my guitar out tonight and see what happens. I, I don't have a gig planned and I, I don't want to busk tonight, but I'm just going to take my guitar with me and see what happens. And sure enough on, I've had nights like those where I in, either ended up playing a show because someone asked me to at the, on the spot where I, I was played for a crowd of people on the street and they tip, tip you know, tip me a hundred bucks or something. So like, uh, and, and that actually, that harkens back, especially to my starving artist days. Um, so yeah, I mean, we just kind of, to, to kind of go back around, um, you know, because I'm sure the li our listeners are like, wait, what? Like, I'm sure our, our listeners have had to stop and be like, wait, what? Like, at least a dozen times now. But get back to that. But get back to that. So I'm gonna get back to that, and I'll be like, so I. Uh, well, hold on one artist. second, there, Cowboy. Yeah, sure. two questions, please. <laughs> yes, please. Oh my god. So, please. what song do you sing to your uh, your wife 
when you first met her? What's a that? whole new world. <laughs> I sang a whole new world uh, to her uh, from Aladdin. Uh, yeah, and I took her and I took her hand and twirled her around. Uh, what? So okay. So I'll just tell. I'll just illustrate this. She walks in with a group of dudes. And I, and I had no, I, you know, I didn't know who this girl was and I didn't know any of the people she was with. Actually one or two of them knew who I was, but I didn't know who they were. And I was at this table with, it's what, again, this was one of those, it was like a Wednesday night. It was August, uh, it was August the 12th, um, of 2012. And, um, and it was a Wednesday night or Tuesday night. So it was an off night and it was, it was like, it it was before 11 o'clock. It was earlier in the night. And, um, and I, I almost, so here's what's extraordinary. I lived in Bloomington, Indiana at the time, which is where Indiana university is. And the students, uh, the summer stuff had just closed and the the students had, were just about to come back. They hadn't come back yet. So the town was dead. The students weren't back yet. The town was dead. And, um, and I, and it was rainy and I had just gotten over a cold. So I, so I wasn't necessarily my, at my 100%. So I wasn't feeling great. And, um, and I had been saying for months and months and months and months to my barista friends at the local Starbucks that I was always at. Um, I, I'd been saying to my, like, it was my office. It was my, it literally like before I had an office and, um, and that's a whole other chapter of my life. But basically like I've been saying to my barista friends, Hey, you know, uh, I wasn't a barista. I just happened to be there with my laptop every day. But I said to my barista friends, Hey, you know, for months we got to get drinks sometimes. And, and it just never happened. And then this one random night on a Tuesday or Wednesday, they're like, Oh, we're going to go to drink. And I, and I was like, well, I, I guess if I'm actually going to have drinks with these guys, um, you know, I guess I'm actually going to do that. Tonight's going to be the night, uh, because I've been saying it for months and it hadn't happened. And I, and I was like, all right, I guess I'm just going to go out. So, so I joined them for like, I literally just had one beer. Um, and, uh, and I almost didn't go out. It was like, I was like 60, 40, where 40% was going and 60, probably more like 70, 30, 70% of me was like, I don't want to go. And 30% of me was like, okay, let's, let's do this. I air and, and that's like with a lot of my major decisions actually in life. So I aired towards the 30 or 40% of me. That's like, let's do this. I said, why the hell not? What the hell else am I going to do tonight? And so, um, cause I, cause I, I forget what that day had been like. I, I don't remember anything else about that day. Uh, but so I show up, um, uh, at the bar and, and, uh, it was pretty quiet and there's just a few people there. The next thing I know, um, it, this, uh, this crowd of people walks in and it's this girl with this group of dudes. And I thought she was cute. And I'm like, Hey, and so I, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to sing to her. Cause that's what I did in those years. Uh, I sang. So I, I kind of was a bard. I was a troubadour. Uh, and even, even in my first year or two as an entrepreneur, I, uh, so I would serenade, uh, especially in a, in that college town, I would serenade, and I was, you know, I was 22. Uh, and so I was early, you know, I would serenade random girls. Um, and, uh, uh, it was actually like a thing. Like I was known for it around campus and around town for being that singing guy who was always singing. I was that guy who was always singing and, I had a crowd of people who loved me and a crowd of people who hated me because they could not stand the singing. <laughs> and, uh, but, and so I came out of, 
I, and it was that life that I came out of becoming an entrepreneur. Not, not, not that I ever came out of the life of a troubadour, but like, but I mean, literally Matt, I sang to people every single day. And even I actually got tired of it after a while, but there was a time, but it, there was a time in my life when I, I can't explain it to you. It was just, I just did it. I just felt like doing it. It wasn't, I didn't have a goal in mind. I, I, part of me was like, I'm doing this because I love it. And I love the reactions I get. I did it because I had people coming up to me telling me, wow, I literally had this couple come up to me a year later uh, when I was like 21 telling me, Hey, the reason my girlfriend and I are together is because you sang to us one night randomly a year ago. I didn't even remember who they were. Or I think, I don't even think, I think they were engaged even. I had people come up to me over the years and say, Hey, the reason my girlfriend and I are together is because you sang to me because you sang to us. And so, so making that magic in people's lives is why I exist. So, so singing to women, singing, not just women, just singing to people in general was like my thing. So this girl walks into a bar just like any other night, really. And I chose to sing to her, even though she was with a group of dudes, because I kind of wanted to get her number. So I took her hand and we danced. Jeremy and coming then, in to uh, take your women. <laughs> <laughs> hide your kids, hide your wife. No Pardon me, God. fellas. No, no. I got this one. <laughs> Y'all can go sit down at the bar now. <laughs> well, so that so so like and then I, you know, we I went back to my chair and then when I saw her shooting over glances for me across the room, I knew that was my cue, so I went over and kind of the, that was the night of the Perseids meteor shower. Um, and of course we got married on that same night, uh, in 2016. And so, um, so yeah, like that's kind of, that was kind of history. I mean, I, well, I, and it, actually what to add to this kind of synchronicities. Uh, so like I immediately added her on Facebook that night and blah, 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 blah. But, uh, I randomly saw at that same Starbucks, I randomly saw her walk in, a, you know, two weeks later, we had almost two weeks later, it was actually 10 days, uh, to be exact. And, uh, in late August and I, I hadn't quite, um, I hadn't, we hadn't had any dates or we hadn't set up anything yet. Uh, we, we had just barely communicated through Facebook and she walks into that Starbucks that I was always at. And I immediately was like, that's Carrie, that's Carrie Hicks. And so I, uh, I uh, was like, Carrie Hicks. And she's like, Oh, she was not expecting it. And, and she sat down with me for a minute and, show, and I showed her this book cover design I was working on. And, uh, and then we set up our first date shortly after that. And so, but, but it was kind of that moment of like, but something else, Matt, that, that our readers are going to be like, nah, uh, I, I knew I kind of, I had this, uh, I knew that I was going to see her there. I don't know how I just knew that I was going to see her at that Starbucks. And I, 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 cause, cause that's how this went. That's how this went down. I would, that Starbucks was the most frequent in coffee shop in the, in the city of Wilmington because it's right there on the edge of campus in downtown. And it's like walking distance from all of the campus, like all the stuff. So what would happen on a, so to, to, I had data to back this up. I would, I would sing to girls, uh, and then like one night or, or one weekend and the next day or the next Monday, they would walk into that coffee shop. So this was like a thing that happened where I'd see the people that I would sing to and not just, not just women, not just girls, but like people, like the people I serenaded, I would see them at that coffee shop after having sang to them. So, so like Carrie walks into the coffee shop 
exactly like I imagined her doing. So she walks in. I was like, I knew I was going to see her here. And then boom. And that's actually really, it was if, if it not for her walking in that coffee shop that day, if not for me using that coffee shop as my office, we may not have actually ever set up a first date, to be honest with you. It was that day of kind of seeing her there that put the reminder in both of our heads, like, cause she thought I was crazy. <laughs> cause she, cause until the, cause she, cause and all, and all of her friends were like, we know who that guy is. He's crazy. And so, <laughs> and so, so she, she thought I was just some crazy singing guy. Like a lot of them did. And, um, but, but that day seeing her in the, seeing me in that coffee shop, I, I, I may be mistaken, but I think that was the day she decided to like, I kind of want to go on a date with this guy. Um, cause she was the one who said, who, who texted me and was like, Hey, like, let's get a drink. So a drink turned into dinner, but anyhow, but what I but, um, my friends, yeah. you know, is that you're a musician and a performer and it, that resonates with you. That's who you are. But bottom line, you were bold in that moment. You had a decision to make right there and you could have walked away or got another drink or just said, eh, probably not. But you went to the edge and jumped off and there you go. Exactly. And that's that what you just described that living out loud, as I like to say, as I've said for a very long time, that illustrates my life, uh, not just my lifestyle, not just my life path, but, but that illustrates my worldview that sort of illustrates the way I like to see reality. And, and a lot of people would, would say that's crazy, but, but I see it as no, no, like, every, every moment of our lives, we are surrounded. Every moment of our lives is pregnant with opportunity, with boundless possibilities, uh, with infinite potential. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and I choose to believe that and accept that. And I choose to do everything I can to harness that. Well, and if you look at the flip side of that, right, that everything's a disaster, nothing's going to work. Both of you guys are right, but I can't live like sure. one of them will sure. make the world seem like a hopeless place. And the other one will make it seem like a magical place. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes it feels like both like, no, I mean, I, you know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Like there is chaos, there is death, there is suffering. Life is suffering, you know, there's, but that suffering is beautiful. That suffering is wisdom, that chaos, that death is a part of it. It's a part the storm is a part of the beauty, you know? And so I, so make no mistake. My worldview isn't one of extreme optimism. It sounds like it, but actually, no, it's, I see that other side. I see that darkness too. And I just choose to see it's a part of the canvas. It's all part of the song. Well, you've been forged. That's the thing. You've been tested by fire or challenge, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> and, uh, these days people that haven't been tested like that, there's kind of a dissonance with how they act, what they say, their, their worldview that it's either very, very overt to me and very noticeable to me, or it's very subtle. And there's something that's like, and I'm not, not being judgmental, but just, I don't quite relate to you and I don't know why. And somebody that has been through 
uh, you know, knocked on the gates of hell and turned around and come back and done it once or multiple times, whatever the case may be, like you said, death or, you know, financial divorce, whatever the case may be. Like I'm immediately drawn to that person because there's sort of a, like a nod across the bar that, Hey, you know, you're, you're one of us. Mm. Mm. It, the, uh, there's a, I read, there's a, I read this quote on a honest tea cap once. Uh, and it said, uh, uh don't worry, this isn't product placement. <laughs> and it said, uh, uh, when the, when the hammer strike and when the anvil bears and, uh, and I, I really, what you, everything you just said makes me think about this little quote I read on that tea cap. And, uh, sometimes we're the hammer and sometimes we're the anvil. Um, and we just have to bear and, uh, and allow the pressure of the universe to mold that us like coal into diamonds and sometimes back into coal. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's awesome. That's awesome that, um, what you just said. Thanks man. Well, and then you mentioned product placement. That might be a good time to transition to, you know, let's get to your entrepreneurial side. And and like I said, I'm I'm fascinated about that as well, but I wanted to really dive into, to know you personally and your story better. And then obviously the business side is fascinating to me. So where do you start? Yeah. So I'll set that up for you like this. Um, and I'll, and I'll be, I'll kind of kind of be as succinct as possible. So, um, start on a couple shows on MTV between the years of 2007, 2009, which ones? Um, uh, so I, so <laughs> it's kind of like a, I feel kind of like, e. uh, so I was on this show MTV's made in 2007. Okay. okay. And now no, no, I wasn't made. <laughs> well, so, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, uh, they, they followed me. It was like a super made. It was like, it wasn't the normal made. It was like a season thing for me or whatever. Uh, they filmed me as I created a band, uh, and competed in a battle of the bands. It, it really wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like, Oh, pet my car or whatever, it, whatever it's called. Or it was, it was like, it was just filming. It was basically a micro documentary of me and my daily life. And they're like, Hey, so, you know, you're going to do this, battle of the bands thing. And, but it, but it was really cool. A lot of cool things came out of it. A Gibson sponsorship came out of it. Uh, I got to work with, uh, this guy, uh, Ryan key, the lead singer of this band called yellow card. Got to go to LA, got to go to New York. I love yellow card. About, yeah, you do. Yeah. So yeah, I lights and sounds is on a playlist. I actually listened to today. Oh, that's awesome. So it, what's funny about yellow card is that I didn't start like really liking them until my 20 early twenties. But when I, I was 17, when I did this show and I, I knew I hadn't even, I'd only heard ocean Avenue when I, when I worked with Ryan. So I actually feel, I feel bittersweet about this because I became a fan of his years after working with them. <laughs> and, and what's funny is we had fallen out of touch by that point. Um, and actually I have a crazy story about a time I, well, that's a whole other thing, but, uh, but yeah, like, so, uh, so when I worked with them, it was like, Oh yeah, yellow card. Okay, cool. And, and then years later, like, Oh, they're really great. <laughs> and, uh, but in any case, uh, so I worked with Ryan, their lead singer, uh, William Ryan key. He, he's kind of there. They, I guess played their final tour last year. And, um, so I worked with him and it was really great. I, I, I got some incredible industry experience 
uh, worked for some incredible like, producers were amazing people. I didn't get paid, but I was paid in experience and I was paid in a Gibson Les Paul and I was paid in travel. And I, and I, as Alejandro Smith, my, uh, field producer, my, or they call them preds, predators, producer editors as Alejandro, <laughs> uh, who, who shot, he shot with me every day, for like 14 hours a day, like not even exaggerating, uh, for like not one, but like three months. Well, only like two, only like one of those months was like 14 hours a day, but he shot with me for like three months and uh, between the, between the months of March and May, 2007. And, um, and, uh, yeah, as he said to me at that, you know, he was like, kind of like my mentor. What's funny is that the producer, he ended up being kind of like a mentor. And what he said to me was like, you know, this experience unquestionably has accelerated you like five years, you know, at least, and at least. And so, and, and that was absolutely, it was really more than five years that they, because if you, if you take into account the hard lessons I had to learn in the years after, which, so, and this is the setup to my entrepreneurial journey too, by the way, I'm not kind of sidetracking. So, cause I want to, I want to explain why, I became an entrepreneur. So, um, so after MTV, I had a couple, really a few years until age, well, a couple years, it was two years actually of kind of like, okay, I finished high school, started college. Um, I also started freelancing in that time. So I was also like doing graphic design and media work. And, uh, and I even had, like, I was doing a lot of other cool things, not relevant to MTV that had nothing to do with MTV. Uh, I had like my own little radio show on the local radio. I wrote for the local paper. So I was already like really like active media person and a creator and was, you know, harnessing the power of Adobe. And so that's when I started freelancing and doing like some design work and it was like cheap, not great stuff, but it was like, I was, I was paid to do it and I was 17. So cool. Like I started my friend's career at 17 and then, um, it had nothing to do with MTV at all. Uh, but what did have to do with MTV was a tremendous amount of exposure that I got. And my only social media presence was a Facebook account and my account, which had no, there was no way of finding me from MTV. So I didn't, I didn't get social media fame really from the experience, but I did get fame. So because everywhere I went, people recognized me from the show and in my own hometown, I no longer had any space. Every single human in my town knew who I was from this show until the, until, you know, for it forever. So, so it was like, uh, it, but, but thankfully over the years, people no longer saw me as the MTV guy, but uh, like, I, I thankfully am happy that I have reinvented myself so that no one is like, Oh yeah, Jeremy, the MTV guy. Like, I, I'm really glad that no one says that anymore. And not because I want to spit at that experience, but because I really didn't want to be known as the MTV guy. And when I was known as the MTV guy, I was hardcore judged by people that I believe that I respect. I was hardcore judged by artists and people who I believe would have respected me if not for a TV. So, um, and that's a whole other thing, but my MTV thing brought a lot of fame for a few years. And then I did a second show with them in 2009. And, uh, the, the first show I did with them was awesome. It was like an hour and a half special eventually cut down to like 40 minutes. But, uh, that was like life changing, profound experience. And, but immediately what happened to me, which I had sworn would not happen to me is that I, I had, I had sworn cause I'd had years of meditation. I'd already, I had lost a hundred pounds. I used to, I had been obese. 
uh, eventually lost 150 pounds, but like at 15, I had been obese. So I, I had already experienced transformation in my life at 17, having lost a hundred pounds and having dealt with some already some major stuff. So here I was like doing this show on MTV and like afterwards I was like, all right, I'm not going to let all this get to my head. And it did. And I was, and by the time I started college, I was, I just felt the wind blown out of my sails. Cause then I had to actually work Then I had to actually do work to continue to ride the waves of that success. And I had failed. I had failed to ride the waves of the, that success effectively. Uh, I had failed to turn that experience into a career in music because what I didn't realize was at the time I, I, did, I refused to realize it, but I wasn't there yet. I, I wasn't good enough yet. I, I had not, I had worked hard and I, and that was actually when I started, okay, that's when I really started studying guitar and really started studying music and really started bettering myself as a musician. But that was a process, but it wasn't until a few years after MTV that I had actually really turned my kind of coarseness into something better. And so 2009, I did another show with them and uh, I had just finished, you know, uh, like uh, my freshman, sophomore, whatever year. And, um, I did another show with them and I was like, okay, this is it. Like, this is my moment. Like, this is my chance. Like, this is going to be me turning this into something. And at that point I had already been, I had been freelancing for, for two years. And so I kind of had this vision at 2009 at the age of 19. I was like, all right, I'm going to make my own show. I want to make a travel music show like Anthony Bourdain, but rock and roll and Zen. And, and this second show is it. The second show is going to put me on the map and I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm going to take off like a rocket ship. I'm just going to be successful and boom. And this is, this is it. I have arrived and I have earned this and I am 19 and boom. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, and this executive producer, this Emmy award winning executive producer at MTV had actually kind of followed me from 2006, a year before we actually filmed the show all the way up to 2009. And I still am connected with him today. He's at the history channel now though, but he had followed me and he had overseen the people who actually, the main producers of my show. So he was kind of the boss of that of made. So he was the guy who, who, and he won Emmys for being the executive producer of made. So he, uh, he was the, I worked with him one-on-one -on -one multiple times over those years, but I worked with him one-on-one -on, -one on the show I did with them in 2009, which was a mini series shoot offshoot of made promoting the truth tobacco awareness campaign. It was called the truth rider challenge. Cause we were like riding on this tour bus and whatever in Portland. Anyways. So I thought after we filmed this second show, um, I, I immediately started work on writing what I thought was going to be the treatment to my travel show that I wanted to shoot. And I wanted to pitch to MTV. I was like, they, they, they got to sign me after this. I was like, they, they got to sign me after this. You know, I was like, this is going to happen. And, um, and, so, and, and I had, you know, I wasn't paid to do the second show and all the incredible things that came out of the first show. None of that came out of the second show. In fact, the second show, I mean, I, yeah, I had a fun trip to Portland, but that was about it. Oh, that and being able to say I was on MTV a second time, which, okay, that's a cool card to play, yeah. but nothing else, nothing else came of that other than, well, other than some relationships. So I, and actually, let me, let me be clear. Actually, nothing else came of that because of my thinking at 19. Uh, I, so I am solely responsible for, I could have turned that opportunity into something phenomenal if I had thought about it differently and I did not. 
Um, I thought Give yourself all wrong. a little latitude, though, Jeremy, at 20, 19, 20. <laughs> okay, sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. Be kind to yourself, my right. friend. Okay, sure, sure. Well, no, I, what I, my, my point in sharing this is, like, I was a 19, you know, that my 19-year-old was showing, you know. So, uh, but it was like, so, it, what, and that, between the months of having done that show and that fall, I entered into what I call into the chapter of my life that I call the starving artist phase. So I dropped out of college. I still had a job, but I was uh, not making a lot of money. I had this little, this little loft, uh, studio loft in downtown Bloomington. It was the cool, my, that was my gypsy pad for like four years. It was the coolest place, coolest, coolest place to live in my early twenties. I mean, it was like a cheap little, but it was like so unique. Anyways, so I, but it, it, you know, it was 400 months. So and, and utilities included. So like, it was like cheap and like, you know, anyhow. So, um, but I entered into my starving artist phase and I, I'll never forget how I just perfectly, it's a perfect storm. I perfectly set myself up for failure. I dropped into college. I began to leave. I, when I say began, I kind of started to leave my job at the time. And that's, that's another thing. Um, but I started to leave my job at the time and I flew to New York to pitch my show idea to the, to Zach. I'll just say, we'll just call him Zach, my executive producer at, uh, at MTV. I, I flew to New York to pitch my show idea to him and I was expecting, Oh, we're going to meet in his office and he's going to put me in touch with the Viacom heads and Oh, they're going to cut me a check and everything's going to be okay. And, uh, <laughs> and I fly to New York and we meet in this coffee shop and he, you know, he buys me a little muffin and we talk and I show him my treatment. And he's kind of like, he's like, he's like got walls. He's like, you know, he's like, he, he first of all, he encouraged me to stay in college. <laughs> and, and, and that's not, and, and, and I knew it the moment he said that I was like, Oh brother. And he's like, he's like got walls. Uh, he's like, don't pitch this to MDV. Don't pitch this to producers. He's like, producers don't want to see your treatment. He's like, do this yourself. You don't need MTV. He said, and this is 2009. He said, get on YouTube. Okay. This is before YouTubers were a thing. Yeah. He said, get on YouTube. He said, build your brand online and just do make, get your flip cam. It was flip cams then not cell phones, really not so much. And he said, get your flip cam and just upload your stories. Just, just upload just do, go into the freaking, he said, just go in the freaking, you don't have to travel anywhere. Just go to the Walmart parking lot in your hometown and you can find some interesting stories. And I knew intuitively that he was right. And yet I did not listen. My pride and ego at, 20, at 19, almost 20 were like, hell no. But I knew he was right. And in fact, I almost knew before I even went there, there was a part of me that's like, this is more like, it's more likely that this is how it's going to go. So I flew back wind deflated out of my sails, um, and entered and then turned 20 and had left my job, had left college. And it was like, what the hell am I doing? Had no money. Uh, I don't, you know, I can't come from middle class. So it's not like I, I had, a family, my family did not support me, could not really support me financially. Um, and it was like, okay, so, so what am I, it's like, I didn't want to like, I wanted to get out of Bloomington to pursue a music career and entertainment career. Um, 
I, I fell in love like with this girl and a bunch of other crazy, uh, not my wife, someone else and a bunch of crazy heartbreak and blah, 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 blah. And that was a whole other thing. And, uh, but I started my freelance career and, and really started to make something out of that actually. Um, and then after six months I gave up, uh, in 2010. So it was 2010. I was 20. I, I gave up after six months. Uh, of, like I so I, like really, so yeah, I had been freelancing, but that was really when I said I'm starting like a business of this. Like that's really when I started to think of it as a business and not just, Hey, I'm doing some graphic design for a few bucks. It was like, oh, I'm going to actually start a business. I'm actually going to start a company because that's how I'm actually going to be able to make my show. Um, and that was like the early seed of this. And, uh, six, after six months, I gave up completely. And for a summer, I just played street music. <laughs> I just played music, just played shows, but really that's a tough crowd. Music. Oh my God. Well, and I survived, I didn't, you know, I was behind on rent, but I survived and I, uh, and it was interesting. I traveled doing that, but that, that was that was that crystallized my life as I like to say a bard and a troubadour. And, uh, and so I lived the wandering musician life. Um, I still had my little loft. Uh, so I wasn't, I was not homeless, but I was not far from it. I was, I was, you know, owed my landlord a couple grand, a, a couple different times. And, um, and I got created a tremendous amount of stress for me in my early twenties. I, cause I was like, you know, it was just, it, and really, I should have been evicted. And it, it would have taught me a, a lesson, uh, <laughs> but I learned a different lesson. Yeah, I learned a I learned a very different and harder lesson. And I and I got my karma. Believe me, I got my karma alone in the stress it caused me to, to be that behind in rent. So that was kind of uh, so I got this. Um, well, I worked with this children's author that year. Uh, after doing American Idol. So 2010 was the year I auditioned for American Idol. Uh, again, uh, that's a whole other story, but, but basically the same kind of magical coincidences. Um, you know, a friend calls me up and she's like, you want to go drive to New Orleans with me? And I was like, hell yeah. She's like uh, an audition for American Idol. And I was like, huh, I'd never thought of that. So, uh, so I did that. I had $70 in my pocket. And when I came back, I was like negative, like something, hundred or so in the bank. <laughs> and, uh, but like, uh, yeah. And so, um, so that, that was interesting. And that kind of thought I, again, it was the same story. I, I thought that was going to go somewhere and I thought that was going to be that moment. Um, and, and no, it wasn't. And I realized that, uh, I, I had to think about it differently and I, it wasn't just going to be handed to me. And even though I, I never really truly thought of that way, I, I was acting as if it was going to be handed to me. I, I knew in my heart it wasn't going to be handed to me. And yet I was acting as if it was, I was not putting in the work. And so, um, so I, I, I yeah, ended up universal with check your homework for sure. <laughs> oh yes. It, it, and it did. And it does to this day. And I worked with this. Uh, so that same photographer friend who, who I went to audition for American Idol a few months later, she introduces me to this children's author uh, and this children's author was traveling to the Midwest on a book tour. Um, and, uh, she, ends up, I end up working with her to help her kind of with her guerrilla marketing and, uh, but really actually the, to perform with her. So I was her bard. I was her bard. And she was, she, she called herself the fairy queen and she dressed up like this fairy and would read her book to schools. And I would play really? guitar behind her. Yeah, it was so cool. I would play guitar behind her and I would sing her tale. 
And, uh, and that was to this day, one of the coolest jobs I've ever had in my entire life. And cause she, she ended up flying to California and I lived with, I basically lived with her and her family for a month <laughs> and that's a whole other story. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, that was my four yay. And she was a, she was a, you know, a unique individual and actually to, to, until recent and even recently has been a, re- a, re- a repeat client. I made it, you know, made a little website for her a year or two ago. Um, but, uh, but basically, uh, she, uh, had a crazy journey with her, but that was my foyer into the world of authors. Besides having been a writer and myself and journalist, uh, my foyer into the world with authors was working with this children's author. And I said, well, gee, what if I could find more authors like this? So a few months later, I was still trapped. I felt trapped. I was still in Bloomington, Indiana, kind of trying to figure out the freelance thing. Kind of, I did a few modeling jobs. I did a few design jobs and, uh, it, it just, it wasn't exactly, uh, g- going anywhere. And so I took this sales job with this publishing company, hoping that I would save enough money to get out of Bloomington. Um, and I didn't save the money. I spent it all partying that summer. So that was my first summer being 21. And I kind of went against my own wisdom. I basically like, I went against my own better knowledge in that I spent a whole summer working this sales job at this publishing company, learning the ropes, selling to authors their services and spending all my commissions like partying basically. And at the end of that summer, they went out of business and I hadn't saved a dime. And I realized, Holy shit, what did I do? And I was right back where I had started. And then I was like, okay, some, this isn't working. It was like, do I go back? To, I was 21. I was like, do I go back to school? Do I, do I, I can't just keep freelancing. Um, I got to, how am I going to get out of Bloomington? It became so much of it centered around at that time, feeling like I had to get out of Bloomington, Indiana, getting out of the Midwest. But I had, I was, I was behind on rent again, even having, in spite of having worked this awesome sales job, then I basically had a few months after that of not having any money. So I, a few months later, their authors start calling me and they say, Hey, you know, we need your help. Um, we need your help, uh, sort of with our books. And interestingly enough, a lot of people were telling me, Jeremy, Jeremy, you need to, you need to start a company. You need to, you need to work for yourself. You need to start a company and really do this. And I had a ton of freelance friends, a ton of friends. Uh, and connections. I had a tremendous network actually for, for that age. And, um, and I wasn't really leveraging it to my advantage. And these authors called me and they said, we need your help. Can you help us? And I said, you know what? Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to start this publishing company and, uh, called haul on, which means like a haul on is something that's a part in a whole, it's like a symbiosis. And, uh, and it just kind of clicked. I was like, you know what? A publishing company can turn into a media company, which can be how I make my travel show, which can be yeah, how absolutely. I produce my music and all my own things. Exactly. So that was the, uh, so that was the end of 2011, beginning of 2012. I launched Hall on. We're still in business to this day. And, um, and, uh, we published our first author two, you know, essentially a month or two after I decided that I was going to do this. And, uh, and just hit the ground running and that thus began, uh, my real, that's really, even though I had been freelancing for a few years at that point, that's really when I say my 
entrepreneurial journey truly began. Like that, I mean, that's when I started my first company. Like it, that's like, it was no longer just me like hustling to get a logo or web design deal. It was like, I'm starting a company and I'm putting money in the hands of other freelancers and other contractors. So I'm, I'm, empo- I'm essentially giving, I'm paying other people. Other people are working for this thing that I've created and, um, and it's larger sums of money. It's no longer 50 bucks, no longer 500 bucks. It's $5,000. And it's like, okay. So I did that at 21, 22 and the first, and, and it kind of relived some of the same hard lessons. Uh, you know, we just kind of was not always, was not smart that year at 22 even. And, um, they don't, you know, just kind of like, but we kept going and that was the year I met Carrie, my wife now. And, uh, that first year. And, uh, but yeah, that was, that was a, an interesting journey for the first couple of years, really until 20, mid actually really till 2015. Um, with a few exceptions, uh, releasing an EP and opening, I got to open for the Dalai Lama, uh, I got to perform for him before he spoke in 2013. But with those couple of exceptions, uh, business dominated my life between the years of 2012, really, I should say 2013. And because I actually was really active with music in 2012, but I should say between the years of 2013 and 2015 or 2012 and 2015, uh, until that documentary I told you about, my life was just dominated by business and somewhere in the halfway point of those years, I kind of have gained a bunch of weight again. And it was like stress. The stress had aged me. I felt at the time, even though I was only like 24 (laughs) and uh, I know. Right. And I felt like, again, just being totally too hard on myself. And, uh, but that's kind of when I, so there was several, several stages of like reinventing things and reinventing myself through that process and losing that weight, um, and getting healthy again, which some of which I've gained back, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, uh, you and me both, but <laughs> it happens to the best. Of <laughs> it does, man. It does. But yeah, so that's kind of, so that's, so, uh, I know I went on a, told a very long story to arrive at founding Holland. So Holland, we're a publishing platform. Um, and, uh, we, we were very much, I, I sound like, you know, so pretentious saying this, but we were very much ahead of our time in the sense that, um, you know, self, we were right before self publishing was like sexy again. We were, we were a part of that movement of like, let's make self publishing sexy and not something that's frowned upon. So for a long time, self publishing was frowned upon. It was like, you're not a real author. If you self publish was the old attitude. And there's some pretentious folks still feel that way, which is totally false because even best selling traditionally published authors are self publishing now because it's better uh, for the author in the long haul if they can make it work. Um, so I started haul on with this intention, with this goal plan of like, okay, I've got this unique business model of that relies on freelancers, which reduces my, uh, overhead tremendously. It also diversifies the amount of talent that I can hire for an author. And I can, which means I can work with any genre of author of any level. I can work with an author who's a bestseller or I can work with an author who's a hobbyist and just give them talent that I, 
and then I have to pay five grand or talent. I only have to pay a hundred bucks. And so it was, it's literally that wide of a spectrum. Like I've got illustrators who won't take a job for less than five grand. And then I've got illustrators who are like, yeah, just give me a hundred bucks. Like I'm starving over here and then I'll give them 200. <laughs> and, but like that, so the whole thing was like, I, even at 22, I was like, yeah, I want to put money in the hand of, hands of other artists. And so that was the whole mission behind Hall on is like, I'm going to be hiring other writers, other editors, other artists, other designers, other people who are going to be, uh, who have their, who, who were starving or who are also maybe hopefully not starving, but who have been where I've been. And I'm going to put money in their hands because there's these, there are authors out there with, with believe me, there, there are authors out there spending way too much money actually with the wrong on the wrong things. And that's what I saw having worked in sales for a company that sold the wrong things. <laughs> and yeah. so kind of what I learned was like, there, yeah, I mean, there's authors spending 10, 20, 30, thousand dollars on crap and it was true then it's true now and um and they're getting nowhere and and at 22 man i was happy with a thousand dollars like if an author paid me a thousand dollars at 22 i would work a ridiculous i would i mean i would work a a thousand hours (laughs) yeah no i mean it's not, not not even exaggerating like like every client I got between the years of 2012 and 2015, I, uh, just put in way more hours than I was being paid for. Cause that's what you do when you start a business. And, um, but, but like, and not a lot of millennials get that, but in any case, um, so, uh, but, but the downfall of that was that I had tremendous scope creep. And to this day, I still struggle with scope creep because one of my tremendous downsides, one of my tr- tremendous fallbacks, uh, 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 setbacks, one of my tremendous, uh, you know, banes is I am not a good time manager. Um, I'm oh, a t- yeah. terrible yeah. time manager. I'm t- terrible at that. And, um, so that's been the thorn in my side. Um, and it was then especially, and, uh, yeah, but Holland evolved over the years. We you know, um, and I started Geronimo, which is a digital marketing and branding agency, um, out of Holland. We were doing those services at Holland for businesses. And, uh, I realized this is too many things for one brand. So I made Geronimo. It's really is the same company. It's just a different face of the same company. And it's, it's, but it's very transparent that it's one company. It's like, Hey, these are two, two different brands, one company. And, uh, and then, um, yeah. And that, that's kind of, you know, I kind of touched on that, you know, earlier and based in Cincinnati now, and it's been a roller coaster. I've had, you know, times when I was crushing it with, you know, rolling in $10,000 a month where I'm bringing $10,000 home and then months where I bring in $0 and, uh, you know, and sometimes consecutive months of bringing in zero dollars. But, uh, but I, by the time 2015 rolled around, I had built the business in such a way that there was always something, even if it was like a small payment here, even if it was like a small contract, like, okay, this is going to be a $1,500 contract. I had, I had set up the business in such a way that by the time 2015 rolled around, there was always something because I, my sales cycle was always ahead of itself. So to this day, I can go on autopilot, not sell for a month and someone will call me or email me from the past saying, Hey, that proposal you sent me two years ago, 
I'm ready to begin. Like that just happened recently. Like some guys like, Hey, will you make me a website? Like, uh, you know, I know we talked about book publishing two years ago. Uh, well, you want to make me a website now? And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, here it is. Here's the deal. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, um, so that's the benefit of like having been in it a long time, but the, one of the drawbacks, I mean, well, what I say is a long time, six years, whatever. Well, one of the drawbacks of that too is like, um, I, I am, I have a lot of kind of like tilted of unfinished. So I, I, exiting other than selling would be difficult at this stage. Uh, difficult, but not impossible. But the problem is, um, if I wanted to exit without selling, I still have to close a certain number of deals to kind of pay off these other debts. <laughs> so it's like I was cash positive for a while and then yeah. debt for a while and cash positive for a while. Thankfully I don't have a lot of debt, but I guess what I'm getting at here is that, um, exiting was never on my mind and it, I'm not saying exiting is on the line now, but I want to change Thing. I want to set set up things differently. I made a commitment at the beginning of this year, just kind of bring it back around. The beginning of this year, I made a commitment that 2018 is going to be commi- committed to my artistic pursuits uh, at foremost, um, so that I can finally arrive at those goals that I've had for a long time. So I'm going to be releasing my own novel this year, uh, releasing a lot more music this year, and uh, what I really, I what I want to begin doing is going full time, just creating media. Um, and so I'm, uh, kind of been working the past year to kind of move in that direction. Not that, not that I don't want to, I still want to grow these companies and, and we're still growing. Like I've brought on new people in the past year. Um, but, uh, there's still that roller coaster and, and I, I'm at a crossroads where I could go after investors, which has never, again, never been the goal, but uh, Holon is scalable. The publishing side is scalable and unique. We're disruptive in a way, uh, in many ways. Um, and we've proven that. So I could go after investors for Holon. I'm not writing it out, um, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm not going to pursue that just yet. I'm not going to pursue investors. Um, and because uh, I've also got these creative pursuits and if I'm going to pursue investors, I have to find a way to balance these creative pursuits with, okay, now I've got investors to answer to. Um, but if I pursued investment, it would be for the purpose of delegating uh, a large portion of the responsibilities and actually, you know, giving up a large portion of what I have been hands-on with. So I'm very hands-on with Hall on. I design a lot of our stuff. I still set up a lot of our contracts and invoices. So it, we're still at that stage where if I could just delegate that, it, my life would be smoother. Um, and the business would be better and we would deliver much faster and the quality would be better. Um, so that, so that's been on my mind as well as now I'm working with Jubilate and, uh, Jubilate is a startup for creators. And the reason I started working with Jubilate is because it's, it's like a digital tip jar way for creators to get paid similar to Patreon. And I just saw that as the perfect fit with everything I'm trying to do. And, um, so I, they started as a client and I said, Hey, you know what? I want to invest time in you guys. So they started as a client. They paid me for branding and, and like, it was awesome. And I gave them Jubilate sort of their brand direction of like, Hey, you, you, 
you know, they were trying to create a content, something for, you know, rewarding content. And I was like, no, no, you're not rewarding content. You're rewarding, rewarding content creators. So, so I helped them kind of align their brands and build that, you know, and, and they're getting started and they've got some initial seed funding coming in. And those guys are producing and those guys are pursuing investors. Um, and so I'm just kind of like letting them lead the charge and pursuing investors while, while arming them with the tools to do so like, like good pitch decks and good, good marketing collateral. And then also helping them with their ideation and helping them, uh, get creators to use their tool. So right now I'm balancing that with my own brands, with my creative pursuits. So I'm definitely in a place where I need to make, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a great place because these are very great problems to have. It's like, Oh, do I want to go make money over here with this awesome publishing company? Or do I want to go sign B2B with Geronimo and get a ton of social media marketing clients, uh, while that's still viable? Or do I want to go over here and just like crush it with Jubilant, you know? Um, or do I want to go over here and focus on my music and my entertainment career, which is really where my heart is. It's what I want to focus on. And that's what I've committed to this year, but I've got all these other things. So that's kind of, kind of bringing it back around to that journey. It's like, uh, I've got some d difficult decisions to make cause I'm well invested in Hall on. I'm well invested in Geronimo really Hall on. It's really Hall on, but I'm, tremendously invested. In. I mean, I'm invested in Geronimo, but again, it's like I said, they're one company and, um, and, uh, and I'm invested in Jubilant now too, but, but theoretically, uh, if Holland and Geronimo did not exist, um, I believe that I could use Jubilant in the same way I intended to use Holland and Geronimo and use that in the same manner to partner that with my creative pursuits. But the beauty is that, um, and it was that, it was that decision I made a year ago on March the 16th, 2017, it was like, no, I'm going to push through this. And I did, and I have, and, uh, and I fixed, I had a lot of, I had some clients at the beginning of 2017 who, who were done. They said, we're done with you coming back later that year saying, Hey, we want to work. We can't like wait to work with you again. So I had fixed problems. There's still problems to fix but I had fixed problems in 2017 um, enough and actually made enough progress. Like 2017 was a, an incredible year of turning things around because I had gotten so behind after my mom died and I'd gotten so behind on, on work that was supposed to be fulfilled and promises that needed to be delivered on. And, and, and then I just said, you know what, I'm just going to hammer through. It would have been like, honestly, probably easier to walk away. But I said, I'm not going to do that. That's not, that's not the kind of person I am. Um, I mean, it's one thing to walk away when you don't have debts, but to, when your debts are unfulfilled work to people, you can't just walk away from that. I couldn't allow myself to just say, Hey, sorry, I'm not going to finish that project for you. So in 2017, I said, no, I have to push through because I have no, I, it's literally the only way. And so I, I pushed through and, um, there's still work to be done, but like made tremendous progress and just, and it turns 2017 from being one of the worst years to being one of the best years. And, uh, and Jubilant just kind of fell in with that and, um, and provided for some new opportunities. And I joined a new co-working space where if I do want to pursue investors, it's, it's in my backyard. Uh, it's not a question of if I could, it's a question of how much do I want to raise and 
is that really what I want to do? Because I've, I've been a bootstrapper from the beginning, as you've heard me say, I went from starving artist to starting this company that's kept me employed for over six years. Um, and, and sometimes produces five figure months, uh, five, you know, yeah. So which could, which could do exponentially if I really got, if I really focused on just that. Um, and so if I wanted to pursue investors, I could, but would I, do I want to, because I like not, I like the freedom of not having investors. I like that. I haven't gambled with other people's money. Like, I feel like if I had been given a check for half a million at 20, two years old, it would have been a horrible mistake because I would have, because I would have had to learn all the lessons I've learned since then, but with the tremendous knowledge of having a a karmic debt far greater than, you know, what I have had, which is, Oh, these $5,000 projects. Okay. That's easy enough to fulfill. It's just five grand. And, um, so it's like, I, I've learned the lessons that a lot of entrepreneurs have to lose millions of dollars to learn with. And I've never lost or made a million dollars for that matter. But, (laughs) but I've learned the same lessons. I've learned the same lessons and it's, and it's all about scale and proportions all about perspective. I live in the Midwest where you can, where you can earn under six figures and live like people who make six figures who live better than people who make six figures in the East or West coast or, or in major cities. So I've lived in the Midwest where my quality of life is better than people who probably make three times as much as I do in other cities. Um, I've, I've lived in the Midwest where I can coast on relatively no runway for as long as I want to and still do well and still be successful. I also have carved out a niche in multiple industries where if I want to pursue that to its fullest, I can, and I can not, I can, and I can go either way with it. I can make an awesome lifestyle business that does earn seven to eight figures, or I could scale it up. I wanted to and sell it for, you know, eight plus figures someday, you know, but that was never the goal. Actually, Hall on was my goal was to give it to the artists, to the authors or the cooperative. And I have not gone in that direction. And it's, in, it's been on my mind, but why would you give something that you've worked so hard to grow and maintain away? So that's kind of like, uh, you know, the difference between my thinking at 22 and the difference in my thinking now, but at 22, I also didn't expect, I did not expect to still be at this at 28. I thought at 20, by the time I was 28, I would have exited, not, not by selling, but exited by, by turning Paul on into a cooperative. And then I thought by now I'd be creating media and music full time. Um, and I've had to live those years to learn that it's not quite like that. A success, uh, an overnight success is not five, but 10 years in the making. And, um, but, but anyways, so that's, that's where I'm at today is I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Uh, my wife has a steady corporate job. Um, so if I just, so if I decide not to work for a month, it's technically okay, but it's not really, how it should be. It just needs to be balanced. So, uh, so, uh, you know, and I've got these, I've got these companies that I've set in motion now that, you know, so right now I'm navigating that ship. It's like, but the cool thing is that it was a year ago that I decided 
Cause I, for, cause why I'm sharing all this in this detail is like, I used to believe they were mutually, mutually exclusive. I had to choose one or the other. I used to believe I have to choose between being a musician and an artist, a media creator or being an entrepreneur. And I realized that no, no, quite the opposite. They, they, I have to be a maximalist. A lot of people think you have to be one thing, but I was like, no, 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 I have to maximize. I can't do one without the other right now. And it was a year ago, even if for no other reason than I had unfinished projects. So it was a year ago that I was like, I have to push through this for, if for no other reason than, than resolving the karma of having unfinished work that I owe to people. So it was like, okay, I got to do this so that I can get to the point where in good faith and in good conscience, where I get to the stage where I can go full time with my music and my writing and stuff, you know? And, and, and that I ended up turning that, I think making the best out of it, which is that I still got happy clients today and it's all cool stuff and it's relevant, you know, to, it's relevant to my greater ambition. There were so many things that just jumped out of that story and many of it was, or a lot of it was around the fact that you have leveled everything that makes sense to you. You know, you talked about the cost of living in the Midwest, right? Where you can live as if you were then beholden to a six figure house or, you know, or a million dollar house somewhere else. Yep. And I would pay, I would pay seven figures. I would pay a million, no, no less. I would pay a million dollars for the kind of apartment I have in downtown Cincinnati. If it were in New York, except I pay $1,200 a month. (laughs) Exactly. And and, and to, I'm going to be all over the map here, but in nothing you said, I heard compromise. You level set things to be important to you that was almost value driven is kind of what I was hearing. And it was maintaining that obligation to your clients. You still had work to do and making Holland and Geronimo successful, but on your own terms and not looking at the, the number, like the sales number or the number of people and growing for growth's sake and it fit into your life and all of that stuff. And even going back to you saying you could not work for a month, I don't see you sitting around Jeremy, like you would be doing something <laughs> creative and something. Oh, it's true. And it's not, um, you know, I don't see you out golfing or just hanging out at the bar at 2 PM, you know, checking face, no. but, nope. but you, you've pursued what has been shiny at the start, but you've taken it and made it fit within your existence, which is incredibly uh, inspirational to hear, but putting it into a proper context for your life and you know, leveraging those assets, talking to people about how to make it successful, but you're defining what that success is. And I think all those stories, that's what really just exploded in, in my head was like, and this guy, he's, he's, he's writing his own story. That is beautiful that you would say it that way because that is kind of, yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. I, I, I sometimes call, I, my Instagram, I call myself not a storyteller, but a story maker. 
Um, sure. And it's because I, I want to write that story. Oh, and I do want to uh, say that you were stuck in my head because I saw your, your video post on Instagram about singing Piano Man in the Bar. I had that song stuck in my head for two days. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I had an earworm on the bike ride on Sunday. I was like, damn it, Jeremy, get out of my head. <laughs> that's awesome i didn't know you saw that story i uh I, I grabbed the mic and got the whole uh whole bar singing singing piano man um on saint patty's day <laughs> that was great that was great well um you. this has been uh, just everything i had ever expected this conversation to be in more and there's a sense that this is only just the start of what we're going to be talking about. And uh, you reminded me of uh, one of my other guests and another dear friend, Ryan Helms, who has, he's from grit and hustle and I'm going to connect you guys because you'll have just, it's another kindred spirit kind of along the same lines that we are. And this I, I would like to extend an invite that you come back and we dive into, I, I'll send you a photo of my notes page here while you were talking. And <laughs> it's, it's great because it, uh, I, I'm at a loss for words simply because there's so many directions I want to take this. And I, I want this to continue down the road. And I, like I said, I think we've just barely scratched the surface of, you know, first of all, our friendship, but then just talking about, all these things, these experiences. And I really want to go into your attitude next time we talk and just sort of that philosophy and, you know, call it level setting or call it story making. And I think that's really key for people out there to not make that comparison about where their business is and what it looks like and just define it, how it yeah. works for you and your family. And that's it. And that's all that really matters. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I can't wait. That's, that's exciting. I, I cannot thank you enough for having me on your show. I, I love it. I've loved it. And, um, I, I completely agree. It's definitely just the beginning of our friendship and also hopefully many other great conversations. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to return. Hell yes. <laughs> as I say, as I say, huzzah. <laughs> Well, I, I do yeah. appreciate it, Jeremy, because I know you've got legitimate media experience and I take you to be a very genuine, sincere person. And the fact that you would take the time and that you enjoy this, it means a lot because I just, I'm just wanting to record conversations that are interesting to me, but the fact that you like it and you've got context for saying that I, I believe you and I sincerely thank you for that. Thank you. No, this, this has been, this has been truly a pleasure. I can't wait to, uh, can't wait to chat. I can't wait to talk again and, and to delve into, to delve even deeper into, uh, you know, entrepreneurship and to art and to the values that you're, that you're talking about, because it's really that freedom that you, like you said, I love you. You really brought it home when you, when you said that, what you said about compromise really for me, it's, it's about freedom and it's about, uh, it's about freedom. <laughs> no, but it's about like, uh, freedom is the currency. Time is, is everything we, you know, and, and I, I want to, I want to have an awesome life, uh, with my wife and I want to, 
enjoy every minute of it. And uh, I want to work hard to do it. But I also I want to work hard at the things I want to work hard at. And uh, I want to create what I want to create. And, um, and I, but, it, but, the, but for me, the essence of that is inspiring others. And the essence of that is motivating others. So, um, so yeah. So anyhow, thanks so, so much, Matt. It's well, awesome. Thank you. And in that spirit, the aforementioned Ryan Helms, he kind of pinned me to the calendar for next year. I think it's March 5th or 6th. It's on my calendar because on his podcast, he'd asked me some goals I wanted for my life and my company. And he made me commit to that. So I'll be in Atlanta in March. And then here's what I think we ought to do. I'm going to hold you to maybe your novel release in a year. And I'll just fly ah. from hot Atlanta to sea town. And then we'll do this live in a year on, uh, Mar- Hell yes. dude, that would be epic. Yeah. So actually about the novel, uh, it's, I'm almost done. I'm over 111,000 words and uh, the goal is to publish it this year. Uh, but, uh, the editing process has not yet begun. So I'm calling it this year for release, but uh, I'm also not, I'm also saying that, Hey, this thing's going to be out when it's out. Um, but yeah, no, next spring, uh, let's do that. Let's do a live, let's do a live recap. Hold me to that. Let's do Let's see where it's at. Cause I'm also releasing a bunch of music that tells the story of the novel. It's kind of like, Oh, it's like kind of just this big creative pour it out for. And then a year, let's see where we're at. And let's, let's see, hopefully your podcast has a, has a hundred million subscribers <laughs> and, uh, and uh, <laughs> a million subscribers. And, no, but yeah, actually, yes. And then uh, in a year, let's, let's see where we're at. Cause one of my That's goals awesome. I love that. is to have a, a live podcast on stage and talking to people that way where I would earn the right to ask people to pay money to come watch myself and you and other interesting people talk. And so I think with a, a novel and a release album release party, that would be something that in a year we could definitely grow to do. And that would just be, that's a, that's a vision that has been in my head from the very first episode of just using iPhone speakers and not having my super producer Cole do this. So let's shoot for that. I love it. Let's do it. That sounds, that sounds awesome. That sounds epic. I can't wait. Cannot wait. We'll rock and roll, Matt. Let's stay in touch. And, um, I can't wait to chat more. I will put all your contact information in our show notes and on the release, but tell people with Holland, Geronimo, Jubilant, where we can find Jeremy Gottwalls. Yeah. We'll just simplify this. If you follow me at Jeremy Gottwalls on what it's Instagram, Twitter, anything else at J E R E M Y G O T W A L S. It's like the question got walls, but there is like question got walls, but there's one L. <laughs> if you follow me at Jeremy Gottwalls, especially on Instagram, you can find everything else. How on publishing Jubilate, all that other stuff. It's all on there. And, uh, but, but at Jeremy Gottwalls, I do daily stories. I do daily updates. Uh, about my goings on. I'm posting new music there. And it's also just Jeremy One L one T one S no Z Jeremy got walls one L. All right. <laughs> exactly. Stellar. Well, hold on for a sec while I get us out of here. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. This is Jeremy got This is Matt Sodnikar, your host. And thank you for listening.